my soul His Spirit convicted and bade me believe He'd save me if on Him I'd call Now in Him I'm happy To His love I cleave Without Him I'm nothing at all. But Jesus left heaven for me. He left the comfort of glory for me. At Calvary he suffered misery untold. why that's why we need that and because there needed to be a sacrifice paid for our sin because you can't pay it as as much as you would try as long as you would strive you could strive for all eternity and you still couldn't pay the price for your sin but thank God the Lord Jesus Christ did it on the cross of Calvary amen it is certainly good to be here this morning if you've missed the last several days uh, that's just a shame we've had a good time together. We really have. And, and we've looked at Ephesians chapter 5 uh, until your Bible probably just opens automatically to that. And so if you want to open to that this morning, that'd be wonderful. Ephesians chapter number 5. As a matter of fact, I would dare say you could probably quote several of the verses out of Ephesians chapter 5. At least I would hope so. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, would you stand with me while we read the Word of God? Verse number 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness... But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this good day that you've given to us. Thank you for an opportunity to be in your house, to sing together, rejoice together. Thank you for the good Sunday school time we had, a wonderful truth from your word. 
And now, Lord, as we look into, into the Bible again this morning, I pray that you would help us, help us to appropriate it to our own lives. And God, there are all kinds of needs represented in this room today. There are people here who, who are confused. There are people here who are frustrated. There are people here who are, who are dealing with hurt and problems in their lives. There are others who are, who are encouraged and just want to be encouraged some more. Lord, you know each and every heart and you know every need. And God, we ask you to reach down and meet each need as only you can today. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, what we've, what we've focused on all week long is the importance of Bible principle. That which allows you to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord, according to Ephesians verse five, chapter 5, verse 10. And that which helps you to understand what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 17. And we said how important the work of the Holy Spirit is in all of that, verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. And I've given you a whole, a whole bundle of Bible principles, and I will give you more. But this morning, I want to I turn, if you would, over to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3. Because I want to ask you a question. Remember there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. It said, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. In other words, that was, the, that was the goal, that was the direction. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, uh, says that's what we need to be. That's what we ought to strive for, to be followers of God. Now, here in Philippians chapter 3, I want to show you some more things about that very same thing, really. Look, if you would, at verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. In Philippians chapter 3, again, we have the same human author, the Apostle Paul. Uh, again, you need to remember, though, this is not just Paul writing stuff down. This is God, through the Apostle Paul, giving him the words to write and, and then preserving them for us, so that we can get a little insight into our walk with God. And here, again, he goes back to the same theme we saw in Ephesians chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. He said, the one thing I want to do 
is no Christ. So hold it now. It wasn't, wasn't the Apostle Paul saved? He still needed to know Christ? Yes, he was saved. But he said, I, I want to know him better than I do right now. I want to know him more. I want to know him better. He said, well, well if you're saved, you know him, right? <laughs> now, that's interesting terminology. You know him as far as knowing him as Savior. But just stop and think about that for a minute. You're talking about the infinite God of the universe. Wouldn't you think there's always a little bit more to know? How many of you have been married for uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Amen. That's wonderful. Your spouse, after living with them for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, do they sometimes still surprise you? You know what I mean. I mean, you're just going along through life and you think you know what they think about something. And all of a sudden, they just say something completely opposite of what you thought they, what you thought, they thought about something you thought about. And you look at them and say, what happened to you? When did you go crazy? What? And they say, oh, I've always thought that. Like, what? How can that even be? Now, if that can happen with somebody a finite person that you've lived with for decades, don't you suppose there's always more you don't know about God? My, my parents were married for, for 50 years. And uh, my father passed away just a few months after their 50th anniversary, but we had a big celebration for them. And, and 50 years is a long time, you know. That's just a long time. And, and they, they had a, a wonderful life together, and, and they were wonderful parents, and, and we had a good home and all the rest. And, and my parents never, they never argued. They never fought. They really didn't. And if they did, I never saw it. And I was there a lot. And, and I never saw it. So however they dealt with it, they dealt with it in a way that it wasn't splashed all over. Thank God there wasn't any Facebook. Amen. <laughs> It wasn't spread all over for the whole world to know about. And that's a wonderful way to grow up. Really, it is. And, and after, after we were all gone from the house, we'd all been gone from the house for years, just mom and dad. They'd probably been married about 48 years at the time. My mother called me one day and she said, you'll never believe what your father did. Uh, now, Honestly, my father was the most honest, moral man I've ever known in all my life. He really was. I, I never, ever, I never heard him tell a lie. I, I never saw him cheat anybody or anything. He was the guy that you wanted to loan stuff to because it would come back better than the way you gave it to him. That's, he always said, if you're going to borrow something, you take it back in as good a shape or better than you got it. If you break it, you fix it, you buy a new one, as a result, he rarely borrowed anything. Because <laughs> he just felt it was a big responsibility and it had to come back better than it was. That's just the kind of man that he was. And I said, well, what in the world did he do? What could he possibly have done? She said, well, I made supper last night and I made rice -aroni. I grew up eating rice -aroni. To this day, I love rice -aroni. Who 
wouldn't love rice It is, after all, the San Francisco treat. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's wonderful stuff. I, I loved it. I always loved it as a kid. Especially, I loved the chicken flavor. That was my favorite. I loved the chicken flavor. And, and oh, nearly every night, there'd be a big pile of rice with whatever else we had. I thought we ate it because we liked it. What I didn't know was there were five kids, and we didn't have that much money, and it was filler. So you'd make whatever you're going to make, then make a big pile of rice and that'd get everybody full. But I loved it. I still love it. To the, I got to introduce my children to it a couple of years ago, and they love it. Amen? Genetics are wonderful. They, they love it. She said, I made rice And we got done eating. And he looked at me and said, I never have liked that. <sighs> I, it just completely it, it threw her brain into, into neutral. It really did. She didn't know what to do. Uh, she called me. She said, he said he's never liked rice If I knew he didn't like rice I never would have made rice And she wouldn't have. But he just never mentioned it. That's all. 48 years, and he never mentioned it. <laughs> That's, that was my father. It, it, it wasn't a big deal to him. It, you know, honestly, if she had put fried shoe leather on the plate, he would have eaten it and not said a word about it and made us eat it too. That's what he would have done. And he, he never said anything. I don't know why. After all those decades, he finally said, I, I never did like that. But it surprised her. And you, listen, your, your husband or wife has probably done that to you somewhere along the line. You, you do that special thing for them that they've always loved, and finally you find out they never did like that. They just, they were humoring you the whole time. Amen? Listen, if that's how it works with a finite human being, please don't tell me you know all there is to know about God. Listen, the Apostle Paul said, I, I've been saved. I, I've talked to God. I've had inspiration come right through me, and I don't know God. I want to know him. I want to know him. That ought to be the overriding philosophy of your life. See, look here in, in chapter 3. He said, we don't, we don't have confidence in the flesh. That's not, what we, that's not what we put our confidence in. And then he says, but if anybody could, it would be me. He said, I, I have reasons that I could put confidence in the flesh. And then he lists some of those reasons. Look, if you would, at, at verse, number, uh, verse number five. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but as Paul is, is telling these folks his qualifications, uh, it's a big deal. You see, by saying, I was circumcised the eighth day uh, of Israel, what he's saying is, not only was I a, a devout Jew, but I came from a line of devout Jews. My parents were devout before I ever showed up. And they did all the things according to the law that they were supposed to do. And so they took me, their son, and had me circumcised the eighth day just according to the law. So I come from a whole line of people who are devout, sincere, religious people. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, who cares what tribe you're from? Listen, there were a lot of people in Israel at this time. They didn't necessarily know what tribe they were from. They didn't know much of their history. They had let it fall by the wayside. Uh, Paul said, not only were we good, sincere, devout, observant Jews, we knew our history and we knew where we came from. 
We were, we were from the tribe of Benjamin and we knew the line that we came from and Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, we were so sincere and so devout that we quite honestly were better than most of the other families around us. Now remember, he's not making this stuff up. God is allowing him to write this down. This is true. This is all true. Verse number, verse number five, he says, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Now, we don't think much of the Pharisees. We don't like them a whole lot because Jesus didn't have much use for them. But you have to understand the Pharisees were the upper crust of society. And there was a good reason for that. They were devout. They were sincere. Uh, they devoted their lives to the study of the law. They didn't just carry around the law with them so that they could look at it and quote it. They memorized it. It was passed along orally. They memorized it and they could quote it at any point, any time. That's a lot. These are men who dedicated their lives to the study of the law and to the study of the word of God that they had. They were sincere. They were devout. They were careful to follow all of the rules. Listen, they would have made a great church member. They even tithed. That's better than a lot of church members. <laughs> Sorry. You don't say stuff like that on Sunday morning. You say stuff like that on Thursday. Amen. But don't strike it from the record. They, they tithed and, and they were devout and they were sincere. And Paul said, I, I was a Pharisee. Now, in the minds of his, of his audience, that puts him several notches ahead of everybody. Really does. And by the way, the reason that Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees wasn't because that they were religious and they were sincere. It was because if anybody should have recognized the Messiah when he showed up, it was the Pharisees. They knew the law. They knew the prophecies. They knew that he fulfilled the prophecies and they still rejected him. And that's why he was so hard on them. Because they should have been his biggest supporters and followers and they were not. So Paul said, here we were, uh, circumcised the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law, I was a Pharisee. And then he kicks it up a notch from that. Look at this. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Now the Pharisees, being devout keepers of the law, believed that those who were following Jesus and preaching salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ were violators of the law and against Judaism, and so they, they taught against them. Paul didn't just teach against them. He went out and hunted them down and stoned them to death. You see, the average Pharisee taught against what they were saying. Paul didn't just teach against what they were saying. He did something about it. He said, I was a Pharisee, but not just a Pharisee. I didn't just believe that stuff. I put it into action. I was so sincere that I went out there and I persecuted those people who spoke against what we taught and who spoke against what we believed. And then look, if you would, down here at verse 6 again. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now again, this is not Paul making up stuff to pad his resume. This is God speaking through the Apostle Paul. And he said, touching the law, blameless. Do you know what he said right there? What he said was, 
nobody could accuse me of violating the law in any point. That's a lot to say. That's a mouthful right there. He said, I was blameless. As, as touching the righteousness which is of the law. What is the righteousness which is of the law? Keeping the law, that's what it is. He said, I was blameless. Nobody could come and say, yeah, Paul says this, but he violated it over here. He violated this tenet of the law. He violated that. He said, I was blameless. So among these devout families and, and, and good, sincere religious people, he's a Pharisee, but he's at the top of the pile of Pharisees, and at the top of the pile of Pharisees, he's at the very pinnacle. Paul is the guy that every mother looks at and says to their son, I want you to be like that guy over there. I, I want you to have a life like that. I want you to have a reputation like Paul had. I want you to be devout and sincere, and, and I want you to be uh, active and uh, like Paul is. I, that's what I want you to be. But look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me? What, what is that? What things were gained to me? Well, it's everything listed in verses 4, 5, and 6. It's his background and his devotion and his sincerity and, and all the rest and his blamelessness in the sight of the law. He said, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. What things? All that stuff that he listed? He didn't get an ounce of credit for any of that once he decided to follow Christ. All of a sudden, he was the outcast to be beaten and thrown out of town in the middle of night. He was the guy to be thrown in jail. And, and all, of, all of that stuff that everybody lauded and said was so wonderful, he lost it all. He lost it all. I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Whoa. Now, that's serious language right there. He said, I, I've suffered the loss of all things, all the things I told you that from a human perspective I could point at and I could glory in and I could be proud of. I've counted that all but dung because I found something more important than that. I want to win Christ. I want to follow him. Isn't that something? You've heard testimonies of people who would say, you know, I, I was a, a drunk and I was a druggie and I was wicked and I was immoral and I did this and I did that and I, I hurt people and killed people and, and all that stuff. And then I got saved and all of that was just, was just worthless junk. That is not the testimony of the Apostle Paul. The testimony of the Apostle Paul is I didn't do any of that. I was good. I was righteous. I was better than everybody else. And I was blameless. And there wasn't a soul that could point to me and find any fault in what I was doing. And not only is that not worth anything, that is the lowest form of garbage that I can imagine. That is dung. We reserve that for pretty serious stuff, don't we? I mean, sometimes we say that's junk, that's no good, that's bad. But we don't call stuff dung. But if you're confused about that, you can look it up later. We don't need to go into that on Sunday morning. We don't, we don't throw that around loosely and, and say that is dung. 
We reserve that for the most vile, foul things. And that's what Paul said about all of his goodness and all of his religion and all of his acclaim. He said, I count it but dung. Why? (laughs) Because I found something far more important. And compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, all that I had, even that righteousness which is of the law, he said that is the lowest form of filth. That's a pretty amazing statement. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law. He said, I've already had my own righteousness which is of the law. I've had that for years. And you know what? That was worthless garbage. I don't want my own righteousness, which is of the law. I want the righteousness, which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Can I tell you this morning that if you ever stand before God and you offer him your righteousness, all you're offering him is filth. And he won't accept it. The only righteousness God accepts is real righteousness. And the only way to get that is through Christ by faith. It's the only way. There is no other way. And Paul said, I had, I had what the world calls righteousness. I had what religion calls righteousness. I had it all and I was good at it. And it is dung because I have found real righteousness. And I want the righteousness that is in Christ through faith. And then he goes into the next verse in that little phrase, that I may know him. What's your, what's your philosophy of life? Everybody has one. Most people just don't stop to verbalize it, that's all. But everybody has one. It's the, the guiding principle that determines how you live your life. Uh, there are a lot of dangerous philosophies. There's, there's one that was popular when I was a kid. Kids are so much smarter than they were when I was a kid. They said stupid things when I was a kid. I mean, I know they're smarter than that now because they would never say dumb things like that. But they used to say, and they made bumper stickers and posters and everything. People had it on their car. If it feels good, do it. That's stupid. (laughs) That will ruin your life in short order. (laughs) People who actually lived by that philosophy are dead already. Because they did what felt good and they're dead already. That's, That's just the way it works. The way it works. If it feels good, do it. In other words, my philosophy of life is I'm just going to do whatever it is that makes me happy. I'm going to be governed by my emotions. You'll destroy yourself that way. There are those who are governed by tradition. They say, well, that's that's just how we've always done it. And so that's how we'll do it all forever. And and that's that's how we're going to do it. Wonderful. But if your tradition doesn't line up with the word of God, you're just wasting your time. What good is your tradition if your tradition is wrong? (sighs) Yeah, some traditions are wrong. They can't all be right. (laughs) Some are wrong. I promise you, there are folks sitting in churches right now all over this area who are being told that if they just do what the church says and let somebody sprinkle a little water on them or say some words over them when they're a baby, they're going to be fine. They're going to make it to heaven one day. They're lying. But that's their tradition. And they'd be shocked if you told them they were wrong, but they're wrong. Because the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. 
And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God knows nothing of somebody doing a little hocus pocus over you when you're a baby and you getting a free pass into heaven. That's nowhere in scripture anywhere. It's just simply not there. So, but it's tradition. Well, sometimes traditions are wrong. It's a dangerous way to guide your life. Uh, you better make sure that your traditions line up with the truth of the word of God. And then there are those governed by the philosophy of self-interest. I'll do whatever I have to do to get ahead and I'll step on whoever I have to step on and I'll run over whoever I have to run over and I'll get what I want. That's a good way to end up all alone. At the end of your life, nobody will come see you. <laughs> I'm serious. You'll ruin your life that way. You really will. Well, I'll just... I'll just do what everybody else does. That's the philosophy of uh, being governed by others and popular opinion. Well, that's the way the world is going. So that's what we ought to do. If that's what everybody believes, well, then that's what we, that's what we should believe. Do I even need to tell you that's a good way to destroy yourself? Listen, if you had good parents, somewhere along the line, you asked to do something and they looked at you and said the same thing their parents said to them. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean it's right. If everybody else jumped off a bridge <laughs> and they swore they would never ever say that. But all of a sudden at some point it felt like it was the right thing to say. So they went ahead and said it. If everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? <laughs> some kids now probably would say yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure. A good rule of thumb is if the whole world is going that direction, that's probably not the direction God wants you to go. Because just to be honest, most of the world's going to hell. And they're running as far away from God as they possibly can. So you don't want to just jump on board because that's where everybody's going. Because when everybody's doing it, quite often they're wrong. So then what, what should be your philosophy for life? It should be what the Apostle Paul stated as his. He said, I want to know him. I want to know him. How do you know him? You have to get into that book. Because God reveals himself through his word. And so you have to open that book up and you have to read it. But you have to do more than read it. You have to take it personally. I've heard people say, well, here's what the Bible says, but don't, don't take it personally. Please do. Please do. It doesn't do you any good if you don't take it personally. Listen, the Bible says you're a sinner. You better take that personally. The Bible says the only remedy for your sin is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. You need to take that personally. And you need to act on it personally. You see, God gave you this book so that you could know him better than you do right now. And as you read and as you study and as you go through, you, you might be reading out of some, some book in the Bible that you would, you would look at right offhand and say, well, there's really not going to be much application for my life in this book. But you'd be surprised what you might find in that book. You know what you'll probably find? Some Bible principles tucked away in there that the Spirit of God can illuminate in the Word of God. And if you'll take them, They'll transform your life. They really will.
The Apostle Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He said, I want to be more like him. I want to know him. I want to understand him better and better than I ever have. (coughs) And I submit to you this morning, the only way to do that is to decide you want to be a follower of God. You know, as the Apostle Paul listed his qualifications in chapter 3, he listed all of his religious background, his family background, all of those things. But you know what wasn't in any of that? I just want to follow God. Instead it was, I was here, I was there, I did this, I did this, I became that. And that's what he said was just dung. He said something far greater than all that is that I want to win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of Christ. That's what I want. I want you to know this morning that if you will make that the guiding philosophy for your life, it will be easy to find principles in the word of God that answer all of your questions. It will. But if you make for your philosophy, I want to I wanna get all I can get and have as much fun as I can have and be the best me I can be. If that's your philosophy, you're going to miss out on so much. So much. Don't waste your life having less than you can have in your relationship with God. That means you've got to get in the book. You've got to read. You've got to apply it to your life and then submit yourself to what it says. Oh, I don't know what that might be for you this morning. We've looked at, we've looked at a dozen principles over the last several days and I've got at least three more I'm going to give you tonight. But the one I want you to know this morning is that your philosophy needs to be, I want to know him better. That needs to guide everything that you do. I want to know him better. And if whatever I'm doing and wherever I'm going is keeping me from knowing him better, then I'm going to change what I'm doing. I'm going to change where I'm going. The first way you need to know him is as Savior. You can never truly be a follower of God until you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. All you'll be without that is religious, just like Paul was in the first part of chapter 3. Without Christ, it's just religion. And hell's going to be full of religious people. It really will. That's where Paul was headed until he threw away all of that and began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as Savior... You could trust him by faith this morning and walk out of here a saved, redeemed, born again child of God. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And then you could say, (laughs) I know him better than I did yesterday. And then you can continue to know him better. I don't know what we're going to do in heaven for all eternity. I know what we're not going to do. We're not going to sit around on clouds and play harps. Nah. I just don't think we're going to do that. I suspect that for the ages of eternity, we're going to be always learning more about our wonderful God. 
So, well, won't we know him after a while? No. He's infinite. We can, we can learn about him for millions of years, and we'll still not know all there is to know. Isn't that wonderful? I hope you're ready for that eternity. The only way is to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Let's stand together and pray.